Welcome to the Avenue Community Church's podcast. We are a family of Christ followers seeking shalom in Memphis. We pray that you are encouraged by today's message. And as you listen, may the word of God shape you to be more like him. Um, so, as Marlene read for us, we are God's workmanship. We are his handiwork. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God prepared before time or prepared in advance for us to do. And so I got a couple of things that I just want to draw out um, just for our benefit this evening. Let's just revisit and do some theological work as God as our creator. Everybody say he's a creator. Right? Right? So when we say he is a creator, um, obviously he is the one who brought all things into existence. And not only did he bring all things into existence, I think God as a creator has an extra, uh, a little bit of oomph to it because he is not just a battery pack, right? You know how that thing works. Gene and I, oh God, man, we don't have no kids and we get COVID. You know what I'm saying? We don't have no kids and then we wake up in the middle of the night and it's alarms, um, fire alarms or things going off. We're like, what in the world is this? And one of the batteries or things have went out, right? And so sometimes when we start thinking about maybe God bringing something into existence, maybe we think of God just as a life-giving source. Maybe he's just the one that makes it. He, he's the vitality that makes all of creation run. And I want to submit to you today that he is nothing less than that, but he's so much more. As the creator, he is not just infusing creation with life. Um, as we are going through a building phase and getting ready to move into our new building, hopefully sooner rather than later, one of the, the processes to be able to get into our new space is we've got to have architects. We've got to have designers. And these are the people who create the plans, right? They're dreaming the thing up for us so we can be able to foresee what we're getting ready to walk into. When God is the creator, he's not just the life-giving source but he's also the author. He's the composer, right? He's the person who's designing his grand scheme. And we know that in Genesis, right, in the beginning, God, what did he do? He created the heavens. He created the earth. He created all the living things that are there. And then he created man in his image to be able to cultivate and govern the rest of creation. We call that the cultural mandate. Genesis 1, 28, right? That was the original thing. God creates all of the created order, and then he gives man a specific responsibility to subdue it or to govern it, right? To cultivate it, to make it better, to make it do what it was supposed to do. We know that sin ruined that. But one of the things, one of the doctrinal um, uh, emphasis is that Ephesians 2 pulls out, says we're God's handiwork. But in that second clause, it says we were created in Christ Jesus. Now, this is not the original cultural mandate. This is the new creation now that Paul is referring to. Paul is saying, hey, now that, yes, you were made in the image of God, but after uh, believing on the Lord Jesus, accepting him as the propitiation for your sins, as his spirit now living in you, you are united to Christ, and you have been recreated in the image of the second Adam to do good works. And these second good works, you've kind of heard these things referred to. Jesus talks about it in Matthew 5 and 16. He says in the same way, Right? Let your light shine before others so that they may see your 
good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. These works that God calls his, 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 those made in his image, the human beings that bear flesh, that the good works that he calls them to do are to glorify the one who created everything, the grand designer, the author, the composer, right? Let's talk a little bit more about these good works. The creation account of Genesis affirms that God's pleasure in his creation by declaring at least seven times that it is very good, denoting that what had been created is delightful and pleasant. Or can we just maybe use the word beautiful, right? So good works for us are immediately, I think when you look at Matthew 5, 16, I remember in my BBS, we used to, um, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? And you know, you, those, those songs, immediately when you start thinking about letting your light shine and good works, immediately you start thinking about morality, right? What are those good works? What is the little light that you need to let shine? It's when we go to the pencil sharpener, I let little Johnny use my pencil if I got to, even if I don't want to even if I like my transformer pencil and I don't care that your mama didn't get you one, I'm going to let you use my transformer pencil. We always knew that that was kind of letting your light shine. Those are the good works that bring God glory. But what this article um, I'm from TGC by this excellent author named Card wrote is that essentially when God starts calling his created things good, it, it's not just limited to morality. That when we see the word good, I think we also need to think about things that bring delight, things that are pleasant, things that are beautiful. So good works are nothing less than morality, but it also includes beauty. That the grand creator, the composer, the one who made all things, he didn't, he didn't finish making the pineapple tree and the palm tree and the lagoons and the rivers. He didn't make all of it and says, man, those things are morally perfect. When he sat back and he rested, he marveled, y'all. One of the guys I listened to, because I'm way out of my depth preaching about beauty and a whole theology on it, so I had to listen to a whole bunch of stuff, and there's a whole bunch of conversations and a whole bunch of theological communities about objective beauty and subjective beauty, but one of the things that I, I picked up from one of the guys was um, that essentially God may be or desire to be the happiest being in the universe. Because when essentially he says, I make all things for my glory, he's saying, I'm making all this for my pleasure. And when men function in the way that I've created them, it brings me joy. So when God sat back on the sixth, seventh day, what I can't even remember my theology, when he sits back and he sits in the big lazy boy of heaven, he had a big old smile on his face. This is beautiful. I want us to think for a moment about how much and how often we slow ourselves down to enjoy the beauty of what God has created. And do you realize that when he is talking about receiving glory, it, a big aspect of that is delight and pleasure. And we participate with him in that pleasure when we allow ourselves to slow down and to enjoy things. In that article, Card goes on to say, 
that God is the first, first of all, he's the source of beauty. God essentially doesn't just design the world. He designs it beautifully, right? It wasn't that he just put things together. Don't y'all just get annoyed by people? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, man, let's just get it done. You know, let's just put it in there. You know, when we go on long vacations and trips, you know, I, I stopped packing the car at least about five years ago. You know what I'm saying? Because I'm just about, it got all in there. But by the time Gina gets done with it, we leave 45 minutes later. But golly, man, it's like, oh, shoot. Oh, okay. I didn't even know it fit like that. Man, maybe if I knew it, just, but it's all nice and neat and everything. Oh, Tim, I slid your iPad over, and that way it can't get ruined. And I'm really like, and I'm like, ooh, thank you. That was so, I appreciate that. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, golly, right? But it was, God didn't just haphazardly create the, created this. He beautifully designed it, y'all. He is the preeminent source of beauty. He desires it. He loves it. And far be it from us, from the haphazard, just got to get it done folks, who don't think that God is honored when things are done excellent and beautiful. He wants to be glorified through beauty. Out of nothingness at the beginning, out of nothingness and chaos came intentionality, order, and beauty. Card goes on to say that uh, as he was, uh, listen to this. As a matter of fact, this is not Card. I actually had a chance to read. It's a very small essay. It's two essays back to back. It was in one book by Francis Schaeffer about art in the Bible. It's a short read. I think you should read it. But here's his take on the temple. He said, what therefore was to be in the temple? For one thing, the temple was to be filled with artwork. And he said, Solomon garnished or covered the house with precious stones for beauty. This is 2 Chronicles 3.6. He says, notice this carefully. The temple was covered with precious stones for beauty, and there was no pragmatic reason for the precious stones. They had no utilitarian purpose. God simply just wanted beauty in the temple. Can I just put it in layman's terms? God says, I want some beautiful stones. Why? Just because I want them there. They weren't metaphoric for some kind of spiritual, divine theophany. They didn't have some kind of, you know, uh, alternative idea or motive. God just says, it's beautiful, and I want it in my temple. David, art form, creative. When the Ark of the Covenant was brought back into the holy place, the man said he danced feverishly, vigorously. He he acted so much of a dancing fool that his wife was like, mm. She was looking in the balcony like, mm, rolling my eyes, hips. He said God was pleased. Was his art, was his dance so amazing? I don't know. Maybe he had the, I don't know. Maybe he was ahead of his time. Maybe he had the, you know what I'm saying? I don't know. I'm not real sure. But God being the preeminent source of beauty and creativity and art, It's just pleased when it's done times. God is interested in beauty. Schaefer says it over and over. The other article went on to say that the capacity to enjoy and experience beauty is a privilege that God has offered to human beings alone. And if beauty demands to be noticed, let us take note of it. 
If there's something intrinsic in humanity that's drawn to beauty, let it draw us in, both the world and the word. God calls us to be the sovereign, to behold the sovereign creator, God. He's just saying, hey, man, we got to stop and we got to behold. A lot of people try to put uh, 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 dissonance and they try to put competition between God's natural created order and those that are uh, specially revealed through God's word and through his spirit. What the article is saying is we need to be beholders of both. A lot of people abandon one to the other. You get some of y'all get saved and you never enjoy anything beautiful that God creates ever again. I, I am I am I cannot eat that brisket taco in the name of Jesus. Mm -mm. I, I cannot go to that football game in Jesus' name. Because I'm just gonna spend time in the word. Well, that's a false dichotomy. You know I'm a big proponent of the word of God and abiding in him. But to deny his presence in the natural created order, that would be against scripture. That as you behold, riding down on the green line, in, on my little bike, I can hear the squeaky wheels where I need more grease in my chain. But in the early morning, like 725, I come through a pass, and then literally I see a tiny glimmer of sunset come through an open pass in the trees. And I just want to pause. It's like, man, God is here. Ain't no scripture. There ain't no worship music but I'm aware of his transcendence. Can I get a witness, somebody? If you think I'm lying, you know what Romans 1 says. Romans 1 says, absolutely, without a doubt, hey, that there is a conversion only takes place when men are inwardly called by the Holy Spirit. But Romans 1 says emphatically by the same man that since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. How? For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. God has left a little bit of his revelation, his self-disclosure all around us, y'all. It's everywhere. Amen. The problem is, it's obviously a revelation. There's a suppression issue. Right? We know that that scripture was given as an admonishment. Hey, pay attention. You know you look the sun, moons, and the stars since the beginning of the time. There's something bigger, something more transcendent, giving life and vitality to this world. But you are suppressing it, and you're taking that knowledge, and you're ignoring it, and you're living the way you want to live, right? But we need something bigger to help us understand the world. This is why that second clause in Ephesians 2 and 10 is so important, being created in Christ Jesus. Because what, what men, natural secular men are able to suppress in general revelation when we have the special revelation being inwardly called by Jesus and his Holy Spirit, we are able to interpret the truths of the natural world aright. And if there are any people who should celebrate the beauty of God in his natural created world, it should be the Christians 
They should have more joy. They should find more beauty in what they're beholding because they can see the handiwork of their God everywhere. Man, look at what he's made. Look at what he's done. Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the words thy hands have made. (laughs) Is he worthy? Don't make me do it. People who struggle in worship struggle because they struggle to behold the beauty. Because it is true. Oh, for a thousand tongues, I need, give me more time. Give me more breath in my body to tell you how amazing this God is. But you got to get yourself in a position where you can behold it both in the special revelation through God's word, through time and prayer in his spirit, and in his general revelation in all the things that he's made. That article goes on to say that the world and everything is it, in it is God's work of art. Just as a poem contains the manifest design and intention of the author, God has made himself evident through the powerful poem of the universe. From the sky of Psalms 19 to the lilies of the field in Matthew 6, God's glory is reflected in the manifold beauty of his creation. He goes on to say that in Ephesians 2 and 10 in the NLT, for we are God's masterpiece. And he has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Once again, I don't think the good things that God planned for us to do were strictly just to be nice to people. Because one of the things we know that Matthew 28 tells us in the Great Commission before God sends us out, who has all the authority? God, Jesus does. All of the world is his. It's all mine, and man is mine, not just the spiritual side of man. Oh, but man's pocketbook is mine. Man's sexuality is mine. Man's creativity is mine. It's all mine, and that's what people miss about Christianity. They don't understand. Why do y'all do the things you do? Oh, because our life is his. It's his. We're united with him, and he's Lord over everything And we don't actually think it's very oppressive at all. We actually don't think we're missing out on anything at all. Because underneath his lordship is where all of our life thrives. Jesus has brought redemption and reconciliation and healing and full humanity to all aspects of our life. If you want to know what it really means to be an artist or a creative, get yourself under the lordship of Jesus. Then you'll be free from some real constraints. And so, now that we're his, now that we've been recreated to do good works, we participate in this creative nature. I think we're to be creative. And we are to make, we are to want to make beautiful things the best we can for the glory of the one who created a beautiful world. Say it one more time. I think we want to make beautiful things as best we can for the glory of the one who created a beautiful world. 
card says that our entire lives are to be lived out as works of art. That poema that Ephesians 2 and 10 is talking about. Everybody says, but things go wrong. (laughs) Schaefer says in his article, he's talking about the beautiful bronze and brazen serpent. It's a beautiful piece of art that Moses and them in the wilderness, when they looked onto it, they would be saved. He says, but then perhaps some will say yes, but they smashed it. Hezekiah broke it up in 2 Kings 18 and 4. He said, that's true. In fact, God was even pleased with its destruction. But why did Hezekiah smash the brazen serpent? And he, and he, Hezekiah, break it in pieces, the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days the children of Israel did burn incense to it. Did he smash it because it was a work of art? Of course not, because God had commanded Moses to make it. He smashed the work of art because men had made it an idol. What is wrong with representational art? Is not its existence, but its wrong uses. So here's where things go wrong. Like you got the holy rollers who all they do is read their scripture and pray, and they don't participate and celebrate nothing about the beautiful world that God's put us in. But then you got people who go all the way to the other end. It's like, oh, man, life's just beautiful, and let's just sit in the beauty. And what's wrong? It's the, it's the same thing with everything. It's the same with theology. It's the same thing with spiritual gifts. It's the same thing with creativity and arts. There's nothing wrong with theology and spiritual gifts and creativity. What happens is it gets in the hands of us. And what do we do when these beautiful gifts of God get in our hands? We make them idols or we use them incorrectly. Y'all know it. The creative folks who are just creative, and they're just creative for the creativity to terminate on just how awesome the creativity is. Or the creativity that's used to manipulate people or to lead people into ungodliness. You know people who literally create music, that create vibes that lead people against the glory of God in the way that he wants the world to be lived. It's wrong. Might be dope, but it's wrong. As a matter of fact, Schaefer offers at least four ways that we should judge art. First, for its technical excellence. Is it just good? Just because Lily Grace put some finger paint and she comes out and said, Daddy. I'm like, oh, now, baby, I am not a curator. I, you know, I don't do that, but, oh. <laughs> it's not an A for effort. Some art is just not good. And it's an and God just gives us varying degrees of talent. And that's just up to his sovereign. You know, what? how y'all, get, God, why you gave all the vocals the car run? You couldn't just give me one C flat. <laughs> yeah, God and his sovereignty, sometimes that's just how he does it, right? And so we, we rightly have a praise correctly. We gonna let Kara sing. Amen. 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 Validity. He starts talking about art, art should be true uh, to the person who creates it in their nature. They shouldn't be using it uh, to gain off other people. He also talks about sometimes you're trying to, to use art, but it's the wrong vehicle. You're, you're using, you know, uh, poetry. You should be using this uh, vehicle to express that. Some of it's the wrong vehicle. But the third thing, and I think the most important thing for Christianity, is 
as Christians, we, we have to judge art on the content. Because in the same way that God, for we are his masterpiece, he's the creator, and when he creates something, literally, it's his, he's disclosing himself to the rest of humanity, right? That as he creates everything, he doesn't want that thing to just terminate on the created thing. He wants that thing to turn back and people to understand something more about his majesty by looking at creation. So in the same way that when artists create the songs or they create the pieces or the poetry or the dances, they are giving us a little bit of their worldview. And we, at, we rightly have to assess that and say, how does that match up with the biblical worldview? Now, here's, the, here's where we get tied in the knots. Can, can I just tell you, the good little church boy from the southern south, here's where I just get all messed up. I just be like, oh, Gina, we be coming in the house. Gina, you know, it's crazy. You know, I don't even know how we was raised in the same church because I was holy. And Gina be like, Tim, oh, baby, let's listen to this song. And I'd be like, oh, girl, I can't listen to that. Now, mind you. I was more treacherous than 10 times of Gina's, Gina's worst sin. I had more secret junk, and then I was just awful. But I, ooh, I wouldn't touch it. I was like, oh, okay. I got to stay holy. And Gina was like, Tim, can you not just, isn't that just dope? I'd be like, nope. And then, I'm like, I'm like, mm-mm. I'm like, Gina. Gina, you can only play that one Kanye song five times, and then we got to cut it off, but make sure you play it five times. (laughs) Secretly just enjoying it because it was just good. It's like, man, that's genius. And I think as Christians, as people who are fully human, we can call things what they are. Oh, man, we don't, nobody does a full background check on Mr. Keurig to see if, He was doing it for the glory of God. I'm just thankful for my quick cup of coffee in the morning. Amen, Jesus. God, I bless you from Mr. Curate and those 12 ounces of goodness. Come on, somebody. I think as Christians, we just have to do that. Oh, man, that's good. Praise God. That That was good. But then some of us Christians leave it there. And we just kind of lump it in that if it's beautiful, it's right. And that's not correct. You have the right to judge art and say, man, that was really excellently done, but I disagree with that worldview. I disagree with that image of women. I disagree with the message of, 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 of nothingness that comes through maybe some Zen artist. I disagree with that. Might have been beautifully constructed, but it's not the worldview I hold. We got to be careful to separate those two things. I think... Just some rhetorical questions that I wrote down for myself, and I really hadn't thought very deeply about art at all a lot, ever. But as Gina pulled the VBS together, I was like, man, you know, I think this is just important for our church. We said that we want to cultivate beauty, but what do we even mean? 
First question is, I think, believer, I want to ask you, have you relegated creativity and beauty to a secondary means of glory? Is that like JV Christianity? Amen. Amen. God, God is evident in all creation, and those things are beautiful, but that's secondary. You, you enjoy of art and beauty and creative things. Does your worship terminate on, on the created thing or on the ultimate creator? When you watch that amazing cooking show on Netflix, do you just say, oh, man, look at that beautiful French cuisine? Or does your worship truly terminate on, oh, God, I thank you for the creativity that you've given human beings? That is not trite. That is not overly religious. That was the whole purpose. Look at those Formula One cars. This is amazing. This is literally amazing that you can create things on four wheels to go that fast with that precision. Oh, Lord, my God, how excellent is your name. Are you making space in your world to be blown away by God's beauty in his natural created order? Are you making space to create beautiful things? One of the things that I think maybe grieves my heart sometimes is as a person who would call himself a creative, and I am a creative. Are you abdicating your creativity to be more productive? Or are you making space? I'm sorry. I know I have chores. I know I have responsibilities. I know I got to put food on the table, but I need to be creative because it's a part of me being fully who God created me to be as a human who has the capacity to behold beauty and to create it. And it's a primary way where I need to be able to glorify my God. And when I get my hands in the earth and when I start creating the gardens and the flowers and the vegetation in the background of my house, I am worshiping God and I need to do it. But now don't confuse your spouse and your children, though, that if all you do is bring in some fresh harvest and you never say praise be to God, then they're just like, oh, you're just out there doing your little hobby. Turn it back, right? Create the worldview and point people to the one who creates it all. And maybe lastly, in your enjoyment of other beautiful art forms, are you sometimes celebrating art that defames God's glorious design for the world? Something we need to check. So we come to the table today.